Welcome to the Faces of Food podcast. We are recording live at Eat Stockholm Food Forum 2019, and my name is Biz Gormley. I'm the Director of Communication and Engagement at Eat, and I'm thrilled to be able to interview Corinna Hawks, who's here. Can you tell us, Corinna, kind of high level, maybe a short description of what your work is and your journey here to the forum this year? Sure. Well, my work is around helping the world eat better. I'm a great believer that the world would be a better place if people ate healthier diets that are also good for the planet as well. That's that's my driving passion in life. I've been working on that issue for 20 years now. So my um, pathway to eat has been quite long. Hmm. We are curious to kind of explore a day in the life of Colonel Hawks and through that, get a chance to learn a little bit more about you as a person, as well as a chance to think about, kind of see things through your lens and the work that you're doing. So to start the day off, uh, the sun has risen and it's breakfast time. Can you tell us what it's like at your breakfast table and maybe what you would eat in the morning? Sure, yeah. Well, breakfast is often, when anyone has a 12-year-old child uh, or family, uh, as I do, uh, it can always uh, be a bit, um, you know, there's a lot of rushing about, uh, some stress around, around are things ready for school? Mm. Are we going to be late? Um, but we always eat breakfast at home. Uh, my husband and my daughter and I, that's really important. I have a super healthy breakfast, I have to admit. I have bran. I have a mixture of different seeds that go with that. And I have a massive pile of fruit and with coconut at yogurt and I have the same thing every morning it sounds really good uh, it's, <laughs> it sounds really good <laughs> and uh, my daughter has um, has toast and some fruit and my husband has toast and some muesli so um, breakfast for us is a is a healthy breakfast yeah nice do you have other rituals in the morning Apart from quite a lot of stress of getting that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, except, well, the what is very, something that's very important to me is I, I drink a lot of tea in the morning. Mm. It's my most British habit. <laughs> um, I don't have my tea in a very British way. And I have a massive cup that I bought from a, a, a market in Melbourne in Australia. It's a massive mug. Yeah. And it was like right at the side and they were selling them for next to nothing. I think nobody wanted them because they were so big. <laughs> the reason I bought it, apart from the fact I like very large mugs of tea, uh, it's, it has a a slogan on it and it says never be afraid of who you are mm. and it has some owls and then it has an owl hanging off the bottom like all the owls are well except for what one and yeah. it always reminds me to have courage in my day which can be a struggle sometimes when I'm trying to do things which might be a bit unorthodox or different or challenging in some way that it's okay to be different yeah. So that's that's a good ritual, looking at my mug. A bowl of courage, it sounds like. <laughs> it's great. So when you're trying to look at things in a new way and push kind of the edges of maybe where other folks are landing on their thinking, what motivates you around that? You know, you talked at the top about believing in healthy food and, and what it can do, but what's at the core of that belief for you? The driving force behind my interest in food comes from my mother. I'm not the first one to have said that. Um, in my instance, it was that she died when I was 18 and was way ahead of her time. Mm. Uh, I never, ever forget the moment, a dreadful moment actually, when she came into my school to complain about the school meals mm. um, that we have that we had at the school at the time, which were truly, truly abysmal. Mm. I was in my teens, I think I was 14 at that time, and she didn't tell me she was coming in, but by complete coincidence, I happened to be walking down the corridor when she'd come out of the office of the person who organised the school meals at my school with a look of 
utter dejection on her face. Mm. I'll never forget it. And it was all about, about you know, she, she wasn't expecting to see me and, uh, and, uh, she just said, Oh, I've, I've come into the school to, to see that and went off. It was only after she died that I, it took on a meaning to me that she had done something very brave and had been pushed away. Mm. And she just believed that people should eat better. So that's where, and she was also an extremely good cook. I grew up in the north of England in the 1970s. There weren't that many good cooks around. <laughs> um, and she knew how to cook with, without a huge number of resources and throwing money at it. Yeah. So that's why I got my love of food and my passionate belief in the importance of it, um, which I've only refined over time. I also, in a completely different way, my great-grandfather won a Nobel Prize for um, his role in the discovery of vitamins. Mm. Uh, he was an eminent professor, different part of the family, on um, biochemistry at uh, Cambridge. Yeah. And um, that was also incredibly inspiring to me. Uh, he was part of the, the food work that was done during the war in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so I had these two very, very different sources of inspiration. Wow. Thank you for sharing them. Fast forward to today. What's kind of the glimpse in, in the docket for you right now? What's coming up? What are you focused on pushing forward presently? There's um, three things that I'm really thinking are really important to take forward how we help the world eat better. And the first one, which I'm very passionate about, is is trying to understand people's lived realities and people's lived experience of food. Yeah, It's very easy to come to events like eat which are fantastic of course and talk and uh, and it's very easy to do scientific research and it's very easy to to say you know this is what we need to do but actually when you start looking at it from the realities of people's lives who experience deprivation because that's where the problem of poor eating largely resides that you really begin to understand why it is the problem is so difficult to solve. Yeah. And so I'm single-minded focused on what are they going to be the actions that are actually going to work? Yeah. And when you ask yourself that question, you can't just stay with the mainstream narrative. You can't just stay with what everybody's saying you should do. You really have to think and go beneath and then go beneath another layer and then go beneath another layer. And I think that understanding people's lived experiences and realities and taking a kind of child and people-centered approach is, is really important. And that's some work I'm trying to do with the London Child Obesity Task Force and some other research kind of work. But then going out of that, we need to then say, okay, what is the big system that is creating that problem in the first place? Yeah. And that to me is the economic model that drives our societies and drives our food system. And that unless we actually take a really, really hard look at how that system works and what the incentives and disincentives are in that system, we're not going to understand what makes that lived reality so difficult for that person. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so these are the, the, the t- and really kind of understanding the political tensions, the governance tensions, the, the tensions between different objectives that are clashing against each other and rubbing up against each other. And actually what I'd love to do is to invest real time in trying to bring people together as EAT tries to do in, in that really don't agree and mm-hmm. that really have very different perspectives and mm-hmm. trying to work that through. Because unless we change the people of the system, we're not going to change the decisions in the system. So I, I suppose I'm very focused on very close engagement with the people of the system and the, the people who experience the problem. At the moment, I'm in an academic position. I'd really like in the future to do much more work on being a catalyst and stimulus for action through people. Yeah. Has anything, as you've been doing this people-centered work, come up that's been surprising to you? Yes. Um I think what's surprising and what I have learned is the social power of food. Mm. 
That's something I didn't think about much until about two years ago. Mm -hmm. The way that people use food and eat food in a social setting, the reasons that they eat why they do might be social reasons Mm -hmm. uh, in a positive way, but also in a very negative way. Right. That people's social lives is so important or that the social aspects of their lives are so important. That might be associated with actually eating very, very badly. Yeah. Uh, It can also be associated, of course, with the gastronomic sense, with eating extremely well. Sure. But also if you go to other societies that experience in a food inadequacy food is still there it's incredible how generous people can be when they don't have enough food themselves and they invite people in to eat food and and food is a celebration and so it cuts across all kinds of society all, all kind of income levels and I, I think we haven't levered that sufficiently yet and that's really what I've learned and, and something that I'd like to focus on more in the future. For me listening to you it sounds like there's so many layers of practice that we have that we don't even realize that we collectively have at this Mm -hmm. point yeah no i i i agree and and, uh, the focus of my work over the years has always been to start with well what's there Mm -hmm. Uh, what do we have already yeah and to try and look at assets when a very early piece of work i did was was around the the context that there wasn't very much policy you know i work on policy and action and uh and I said, well, hang on, let's look at what policy exists. Let's look at what actions are already being taken. Yeah. And now what I'm focused on in this kind of trying to understand people's relationship with the system is how we connect that action and how we can actually have transformative action within the system. So we don't just say, we've got to come in and we're going to do this new thing and it's going to be great. We say, what's happening already? What, what are the assets in that community? What are the assets in that country? What policies are already in place? What actions are businesses already taking and so on? Absolutely. And how do we connect those and get the feedback loops into the system so that the system then tips over and mm. you get transformation that, sure. that's that's what, where we should be working right now yeah we say transformation a lot but i don't know if we always get the chance to think about what it really means yeah what are the challenges you're coming up against um resources <laughs> some people have got lots of resources and some people have less i think i'm a bit on the less side at this point working in, in british academia as i do <laughs> In, in, in the sense that there's a lot of resources out there for research, it's hard to get it. And to get it, one has to sort of take quite a, mm. a narrow view, I, I think, even though they're trying to think broadly now more, it, it's, it's quite challenging. But in terms of people, resource for people who can actually make those connections and connect the system and catalyze the system, people have their own jobs to do and they've got a job of work to do, but you need connectors in the system. Their job is to connect people. That, to me, is a challenge because we don't have those people in the system. I aspire to be one of those people, but you need resource in order to do it. So I think that's a, 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 a kind of practical capacity capability challenge. The other challenge is about the tensions in the system and the fact that people have coming from very different ideologies and very different narratives and very different understandings of the science um, and that there's so many tensions in the system. And there's so many elephants in the room that people don't like to surface those tensions because it seems to be a bit impolite. I think we need to be in a a situation where the the tensions can surface and conflict can be acknowledged and addressed. It's, it's, It's very difficult because people will say, no, I am right and this is a situation. And then another person will say, no, I am right and this is a situation. And how do you address that? that there has to be mechanisms and ways of, of dialogue um, that allow people to just think a bit differently and to situate themselves in their own position in the system. Yeah. It's a really, really difficult thing to do. 
If you could strip back or, or maybe even move through these challenges and do a dream project, what would it be? My dream project would be to run a, a global initiative that would bring together action on diet-related ill health and malnutrition in all its forms, the food-related aspects of malnutrition in all its forms, to catalyze and stimulate action, to bring together the amazing work that is going on all around the world to try and help people eat healthier. There is amazing work everywhere. But to bring it together in such a way that the different communities involved begin to understand each other and they start to layer on top of each other what each other's doing as opposed to acting in separate spaces. That we start with people's lived realities is the core of that and try and work out from that and that we have a tremendous amount of shared learning and to catalyse that shared learning and then to really work on what is the most effective design of action that is actually really going to work, human-centric design, what's really going to work from people's perspectives, as well as changing systems. I think there's a real gap for um, for global work that brings together all aspects of that, the healthy healthy eating agenda. So that's what I would love to do right now. Nice. I appreciate how quickly you can answer that question. <laughs> I think it's courageous to know the answer to that question so quickly. So thank you for setting that model. If, you know, we've had a long day, you've transformed the system, you've confronted all the challenges, and you've set a new course for what's coming ahead. So we're going to move into the kind of after after work part of your day mm-hmm. and would love to understand if you were going to have the ultimate dream fantasy dinner party, who are the three people living or dead that you would invite to join you? Well, I would invite my husband. Yeah, that's such a lovely <laughs> answer. So um, I would definitely invite him. And um, I'm sorry, I haven't thought enough about this uh, this question before. I think I'd invite some children, actually. Probably about the same age as my daughter, maybe Mm -hmm. a bit of a mix of age, to really get them talking about what they feel about food. And I'd serve them food and they'd walk into the door and say, I don't like that. (laughs) And by the time they'd leave, they'd say, I love that. What would be on the plate? Um, some fish, which I know has to be consumed in moderation, but I, uh, is my favorite <laughs> food. Um, some really delicious fish dish. I have the best fishmonger on the planet, um, in, in, uh, near where I live. I'm extremely fortunate. And, um, uh, so I'd serve some fish that would be served with a really delicious sauce. Uh, and I would serve a huge pile of vegetables that would be deliciously cooked with garlic and oil. I'd have something like, um, some kind of pulse lentil or chickpea with with herbs and vinaigrette as a, a kind of salad on the side and i would definitely deserve some dessert and serve some dessert as well nice <laughs> yeah you are eat lancet commissioner uh-huh so you know the planetary health diet perhaps better than we do um and i'm curious as you've been part of this commission and part of pulling together the amazing report did it force you to look at your own diet or did it call on you perhaps to have a new lens on your own habits and diet or have you already been kind of developing habits that are in alignment with it? I think what the Eat Lancet did for me was really remind me about the climate and planetary boundaries piece, which um, is something that's very, very important. It's been less the focus of my own work. Um, it's something that I kind of bring and say, we need a healthy diet and we need to have it from a sustainable food system. Mm-hmm. I've said that for a long time, but I've focused less on the details. So I think that that was really important for me in uh, learning from the Eat Lancet. In terms of the plate, I think I've 
always aspired to eat like that but I do have some major weaknesses I'm not perfect you know I don't think any of us eat the perfect diet and so that kind of knowledge has been with me for a long time but am I perfect no I, I eat too much sugar for sure um I, it's my it's my weakness when I'm I tend to get quite tired after the end of a long day yeah and an eating piece of cake um is a, a nice thing to do Feels good. and uh and I'm aware that that's that's a bit of a weakness yeah and uh, I'm aware that my daughter doesn't have a perfect diet either and all the struggles to, to help children eat healthy I'm very familiar with all of that and so I think I'm really focused on on her right now actually and and trying to make sure that she's got that exposure to a wide range of foods so so that even though she's always going to like all kids do always want to have sugary foods that at least she's had the exposure to really good food and so that she adopts those habits over the over the longer term nice well the sun is setting it's the end of your day and maybe you're in reflection mode thinking about the big questions i'm curious um as you think about the challenges or the opportunities in your work, what are you hoping that the next research questions will be or that what are, are some of the next questions that can be asked by scientists that can help continue to open doors for the, the work you're trying to do? I think the, the most important question for science right now is actually to bring together different scientists from different disciplines, including social sciences, to develop a, co- a common consensus about what drives people to eat what they do. Because there is... There are different schools of thought. There are some which are more sociological, some which are anthropological, some which are more about economics, uh, some which are more about kind of systems change, some which are all about consumer behaviour and education. And uh, and so there's a lot of theories out there about why people eat what they do. We don't need a, we don't need a, a whole lot of new theories, but we do need a narrative which is clear to policymakers. Mm-hmm. Because at the moment you say, yeah, we need food systems transformation. Let's go and get consumers to eat differently. And other people saying. We need systems change and then consumers will change. And others saying we need to address poverty and then people will eat differently. And we need to bring all of those different narratives together because the reality is that all three of them need to change at the same time. We need to face that reality in the face. Really say we really need to work on all of these areas. And so if you get into an argument, oh, it's education. No, it's not. It's about the system and food environments. Or it's about poverty. We we just have these arguments about what the problem is. It's all three of them and they intersect. So actually, I think the big question for science is, to, is a social science and a scientific question as well is how can we come to a global common understanding of what drives what people eat in order to inform uh, policymakers and, and politicians to say, now I understand why intervening and, oh, sorry, now I understand how to change what people are eating. Yeah. And that politically we, we might think we are i mean i i never would have said this two years ago so what's the point of that we understand that mm. but the politician and the policymaker and the other and the ceos don't really get it yet mm. and and that's that's the kind of the the politics and the and the power and the decision making that they have that that's what we need to change with that narrative yeah beyond the walls of your home uh, all of us have seen in our local communities young people take to the streets to call for that kind of urgency and understanding of complexity Mm -hmm. as something that isn't an excuse but is actually what we have to jump right into the climate strikes and a variety of other things we're curious what would draw you to the street in protest (sighs) i remember my days when i was a student um there's so much to protest about (laughs) but i think at the end of the day it's inequality i'm a fortunate person but I get very, very angry about inequality 
it's 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 devastating to see how people really live so many people in the world just the the astonishing situations that they have to face in their daily lives and uh, and yet there were people with just immense wealth um and it's it's not any of those people's faults mm. it's because the system is set up wrong the economic mm-hmm. system is set up wrong mm-hmm. so that's what makes me angriest and um I think would probably be the thing that would get me to the streets most of all. Hmm. Well, on the flip side, I don't know if you know, but the venue that we're in for the Eat Stuck and Foom Farm is often a concert venue. Uh-huh. So we're curious um, if there was a live concert in the streets, what would what would you run to the streets to dance and celebrate? What is the thing that you would be most eager to, to celebrate with all that's going on right now? If children started to enjoy to eat healthy food, that's my dream that when you see kids they're like yeah i love this broccoli and uh, and it's and it's like the lancet diet you know it's yeah. something that's delicious yeah. that kids enjoy love run out into the streets themselves so that they can eat really delicious food that is also really good for them yeah that that to me is is my dream beautiful well thank you for sharing it so many amazing stories with us i feel like you took us to so many parts of your life and also to the world. And I'm really humbled and grateful for the chance that I've gotten a podcasting moment with you. So thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.